In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. To get the show started today, an announcement. I will be starting a uh, online lecture seminar series um, called Lessons I'm Learning, which is also based on a book I'm working on as well, which is essentially a compilation of different ideas, themes, lessons, which is the, that's where that title comes from, uh, that I've learned over my years just as a human being, but also through my practice as a psychologist, through the books I've read for this show and in general. Um, and that title of the book, uh, Lessons I'm Learning, and the title of these lectures, the reason for that type of title, Lessons I Am Learning, is that really when we look at life and how we try to live our lives and learn from each other, um, none of us have mastered it or figured it all out. And that's an overall theme and one that you've heard me talk about and I'll uh, touch on it today or actually start the show with that. Uh, But no one has it all figured out even though we are looking for people to give us the answers or we're hoping to find that. Uh, but no one no one does have all the answers and no one can do the thinking for us that's another aspect uh, of this title and theme of the topics that i'll discuss so life is a a difficult thing it's a scary thing and also there is lots of uncertainty when it comes to life or even some of the things that are certain give us anxiety also so for example our death is certain but that makes us feel anxious and we can experience death anxiety. So um, life and death, all of it makes us anxious or really uh, death is part of life. And so we can consider that still life making us anxious. And so because of this anxiety, first of just what's going to happen to us and what will, you know, take place in my life? When will I die? What will my life be like? Uh, How will things play out for me? How will things that are out of my control go when there is, you know, disaster strikes or something wrong happens? Will that happen to me? Um, So there's all those parts that we feel uncertain about. And then that's the stuff that's out of our control or a lot of it's out of our control to a degree. We can also look at the things that are in our control and there's uncertainty there too uh, because we're hoping to find this exact right way to live life, to do things, and to make all the right decisions, but it's not clear. There isn't some easy way to know what's the right thing to do in just day-to-day life, um, uh, health, fitness, what you uh, do with your time, your relationships, marriage, parenting, all these things that we go through in life uh, that are important aspects of our life and our experience, there's no clear answers to them. 
we want there to be because it makes us anxious and uncomfortable to not know what's going on and also to not know what we can do to make it better. And so we're seeking ways to, to find this truth. And often we think it's a truth with a capital T, like there's some ultimate truth out there or someone has it or it's in some book, whether it's a holy book or just from some guru or guide who has those answers for us. So even seeking these answers, it's a good aspiration and something we should go towards. But people at times, instead of looking for guidance, they're looking for solutions or ways to know that if they do this, they're guaranteed to have a good life or have good kids or a good marriage or know that they're doing things perfectly. But there is a a very harsh reality we have to accept, which is that this does not exist just like we have to accept the harsh realities of, of our death and our loved one's deaths as part of life, we also have to accept that there is no easy solution to life out there or someone who has those solutions, whether it's in a book or in a person, who can give us all of those answers. And we can see that we're always seeking that and wanting that and believing in that. You know, there is uh, so many, of course, it's part of religion, but even if you see movies, these things like a chosen one, you know, for example, in Star Wars, or um, I think Harry Potter, that theme is similar too. But often we find this chosen one who in those kinds of movies, it's not necessarily someone who, you know, is a, a guide or a guru, but who has the answers. We like this idea. One, I think we're also resonating and thinking maybe I'm the chosen one. We always want to be special and to stand out in some way. But we're also hoping that there are these superhuman type of humans that will have this power to then make us feel safe, make us feel okay. And we're seeking that power to make us feel that we won't have to worry anymore. All those things that scare us, all those things that worry us, they all go away. It's something as kids that we experience and our parents can provide us that there is a way that our that feeling we get from our parents, that comfort, um, we can see that it feels so good, but realistically, it doesn't actually represent the type of comfort comfort we're seeking or we think we have. For example, a child is scared of a monster being in their room. Now, if the child has a, a decent imagination, they're going to imagine a pretty scary monster. But when they run to their parents' room and, and let's say, get into their bed and cuddle up with their parents and they feel safe, realistically, that monster they were imagining, uh, their parents would be no match for that monster. But there is this feeling of this complete safety they get in their parents' arms that can make them feel like they're going to be okay, that nothing can harm them now that they are in their parents' arms. And it's a very nice feeling. And as a parent, you give that to your child to give them the sense of comfort and safety and peace Um, in that moment, but also to feel that way in the world, that they can then interact with the world with that sense of peace and safety. Now, as we get older, some of this starts to uh, dissolve, that we realize we're not completely safe. That's not possible. We can still feel safe enough to venture out into the world and to experience life. And even um, as parents, this is one of the biggest challenges we actually face is to send our kids out in the world not with any guarantee that they'll be safe or they'll be able to um, 
withstand what's going on, but that if we actually don't let them do that, we're hurting them. It's not loving to hold on to them for ourselves or because we want to protect them. We have to allow them to face the world um, and the challenges that are out there so that they can experience life and so they can grow and to be their own person. Um, and so we do lose this, or we need to lose this belief that this perfect safety, this perfect peace that we have and we want to experience and realize the world is not that, that it's never going to be um, perfect and safe and we have to contend with this reality of life. And so we might realize this and in some conscious way, most people would likely agree with what I'm saying, but then we will find ourselves being drawn to these types of um, some solution to these types of problems. Religion is the biggest one, but also we might look to someone who has figured it all out to have everything solved and we just go to them, follow them, and we are guaranteed a good life and safety and all those wonderful things that we would want that are very comforting. And then always there's going to be these individuals, um, charismatic at times, maybe partially well-intentioned, but also very times have very much uh, often having ill intentions, wanting their own power, fame, money, whatever it is. And they, in a way, find each other. This one individual might have many individuals following them, but there's a symbiotic relationship. Um, I want to be praised and made into a God. I am looking for a God to feel comfort in. And voila, you have a match made in, I don't want to say heaven, but it's made somewhere. And there they are having this type of interaction together. And so I see this a lot with, um, uh, we've seen it throughout history with uh, religion as its own form of that, but I'll, I'll um, even add things like cults, uh, but also these guidance leaders or people that people uh, turn to, to look for all the answers and the solutions, hoping that they're going to make their life easy. And we see that throughout history. And now I just see it happening in different ways or more frequently um, with social media, online types of experiences that people have that they look to someone. And it's not always someone who has the answers to everything, but it might be to one aspect of life. This is the relationship, you know, person that knows relationships perfectly or the this kind of person. And even, you know, I feel it besides the way people ask questions of myself or anyone in a similar field. We, we believe or hope or want there to be these answers that people know everything. Oh, there must be research that says exactly what to do here. If you have two kids and the third one comes and you, and there's some guidance, but there's not going to be something black and white. And sometimes I think people have this assumption or it's probably wanting to believe that there's going to be some solution that is very clear and black and white when really it doesn't exist. Um, sometimes I get really frustrated with these posts you might hear, you know, see online people write psychology says 92% of, I saw something like this was like psychology says 92% of breakups are from lack of communication or something like that. And it's, uh, you know, I'm a psychologist letting you know, there's no such thing as psychology says, that's not a, a way of talking and anyone with knowledge of, um, research or scientific research or psychological research will say psychology says fill in the blank that just doesn't make sense we don't say medicine says or sociology says um, but you know you see a lot of these psychology says and something and and it makes people feel very good well it's a 
you know, 92% and it's very specific and it's psychology. So this is like true uh, when there's no truth to it at all. And the one I was, I'm thinking of it also had this um, pay for these text messages or watch this video and it's going to teach you the things to text your, the man in your life that's not giving you attention and, you know, kind of a guarantee essentially that that person's going to come back to you if you send them these text messages. And it really bothers me because I see people just taking advantage of uh, people who are in this, uh, you know, in distress and they are trying to look for a solution and they're seeking it and people saying, yes, yes, I have your solution right here just behind this paywall. Give me a few dollars and I will make this huge thing that you're worried about disappear. It helped me. It helped millions of people. And why are you waiting? You know, what are you waiting for? Your happiness is just on the other side of this $5.99 a month. So I see so much of this in a variety of scales. So there's like, you know, religious type of scales. There's uh, cults and gurus and different things. And then there's the smaller types of uh, individuals online that might be providing something. And because of that, this this way of looking at, um, as I put the title of, of these talks and book lessons I'm learning, is that I'm still figuring these things out myself, or I'm coming to these understandings and I'm sharing that with you, but it's not because I have it figured it all out or anyone has figured it all out. It's just to share my perspective that then you can also think about. I'm not going to do the thinking for you. I'll share my thinking with you and you can uh, then reflect on that and think about it just like I'll do that with other people's opinions that I hear and their thoughts. And then you make of it what you will, whether it resonates with you um, in some way, completely at this moment, whatever it is, you then can work on that. And it's also when I say lessons I'm learning, it's to say um, not o- it's not only people who have it all figured out, which is no one, who can share their opinion. We're all in the process of learning. Even you go to university and you have your um, professor teaching you, and that professor will teach you a lot, but it's not because they've learned everything there is to know about the field they're teaching you about. They're still learning. Not only are they still learning about what has already been um, done in their field, because they can't have known all of it, they're hopefully contributing to it, adding to it, and understanding it in different ways while you're in their class. And as you continue to take their classes, there isn't this finished learner, which we sometimes are looking for. And so this notion that someone has it all figured out or someone um, is done learning is mistaken. So I'm still learning the things I share with you. Um, we're getting close to 10 years here at Radio Hamra. So over these 10 years, I've even, uh, I'm, I would hope, that what I knew 10 years ago is not what I know now, that that's increased and improved and my ideas have evolved and I definitely noticed that, but it would be really bad if they didn't. But sometimes we look to someone to have the answers and think, um, well, they figured it out and that's just not the case. So uh, look for those online um, seminars, figuring out the logistics on them. Uh, You know, my book, the subtitle, I always think I would add is to put the book that won't completely change your life So I think a lot of these uh, books and um, things you see online try to make this notion of, you know, this is going to fix all your problems. And I think that is, again, another way of misleading people and and really lying to them to take their money, to make them falsely believe in something that's not true. So uh, remember that no one will do the thinking for you. We always are going to be responsible to think for ourselves. No one has all the answers 
and has figured life out or even one aspect of life out. We can learn from one another and learn from people who might have some more uh, experience in some area, but it doesn't mean we just swallow what they tell us whole and live that way and feel comfortable. We always have to face that challenge of, of figuring it out for ourselves. So uh, we'll share that information with you on these seminars as they uh, come up and looking forward to this new uh, adventure uh, professionally, but also for myself to continue learning through this process. All right, that brings us to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, uh, thanks for calling. Good, good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I'm so excited. I'm <laughs> okay, I want to apologize first for um, some mispronunciations that I will have and I might have. That's okay. You're doing great so far. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, that's my problem. I worry about things a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> things that I'm not uh, worrying about them is not necessary, but... Um, kind of have no control over it. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard. You know, we can get um, better about it. Sometimes we do get it more, what can feel like under control. But yeah, initially, it's an automatic thing that comes to our mind. And then it depends on how we deal with it. It can make some difference, but it still doesn't mean it's going to make it disappear. Yes. Um, the reason I'm calling is um, I'm having... Uh, I guess communication issues with um, everyone, and okay. um, I believe that uh, the environment I was raised in um, has a big, um, you know, effect on that. The reason for that. Okay. Uh, I've been in the U.S. for uh, eleven years now, almost eleven years. Pretty soon it will be, uh, but. Um, and I'm uh, 43 now. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, I was uh, born in a family of uh, five kids. The whole family, we were eight. My grandma lived with us, my dad's father. And um, I'm right in the middle. So two before me, two after me. Mm -hmm. And... Um, um, it was a very um, restricted, restricted family. My dad was the one who made all the decisions. Um, first and last thing was his choice. You know, nobody had no right to talk over him. And um, my grandma was behind him, so she was the one who was ruling him, actually. Uh, and but because she didn't have any, uh, like, I don't know, uh, arm power or something, mm -hmm. she couldn't say nothing. So she worked on my dad, and my dad was the one who uh, would do anything, uh, follow up or react based on what she would say. And um, uh, my dad had no respect for no one. didn't matter who someone, you know, relative, family, 
old, young, stranger, no matter what, in anyone. He always said, even if God comes down and says something against what I say, I will punch him in the mouth. He would always say that. Mm-hmm. And he would do it, too. You mean actually, so, he was actually, like, violent? Oh, yeah. Okay. With Within yeah, the home also? Yeah. Okay. Everyone. Hmm. It didn't matter. Even with his own mother. She was the one who was, you know, poking him, but he would even beat her, hmm. and he didn't care. So it was, um, we uh, rose up in so much fear, uh, kids, and uh, my mom didn't have much of education, and she was raised in kind of similar family, not, not as bad, but... You know, not good either. And so she didn't have any, um, you know, didn't know what to say or what to do. Uh, But we kids would go to her all the time, and she was our, you know, calming place after, uh, you know, every time we had a conflict with that. And I always hated my dad. Always waited and wished him that. And, um, and, and, uh, we were four daughters and, uh, like four girls and one boy who is at the end. Of course, you know, Iranian families, uh, they add up to their girls to get that boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, um, but my dad treated us all the same way, only the difference was, Whoever had, uh, like, um, my younger sister, she was really good going around my dad. She, she had a good way of, you know, uh, getting either do what she wanted or be nicer to her. Okay. Um, but um, me and my um, eldest sister, nope. Never had that talent, so we were always get <laughs> bigger. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, and and also he was very prejudiced, uh, not religious prejudiced. Um, out of all the religious practices, the important thing, the only thing important for him was the prayer. Like if you didn't do anything else, he didn't care as much. But if you didn't do the prayers, oh, he was on you, hmm. okay. um, really hard. And um, also, um, he wanted us girls to stay at home, don't go nowhere, don't do nothing. So as as we say the saying, uh, he didn't want the sun and the moon see the girls. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that. And um, so that so gives me a. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's more to the family background, but you're giving me a pretty good idea of that. If we can share with me, you said I'm having communication issues. I think you said with everyone. So I might go, you know, ask you questions more about childhood, but tell me more about that. What is it that you're experiencing now um, that you yeah. wanted to ask about? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Because of uh, his restricted rules and not wanting anyone going over and mm-hmm. nobody comes to um, our house, um, and, of course, I was in the middle, so I was mostly ignored by <laughs> everyone. And um, so I tended to be to myself, sit there in my room or, you know, um, some room. I keep doing my own business, not uh, really talking to anyone or, you know, having anything with anyone. unless you know, somebody comes to me and asks me for something which it was mostly my mom. Uh, she would come to me and say, hey, come, um, like, do this and do that. And once in a while I would ask her, why don't you ask the other uh, kids? And she would say, oh, the older one's going to um, school. They have homework. The younger ones are, you know, uh, young, and they cannot do this thing. Mostly she wanted me to keep an eye on the food that she was cooking when she was uh, going out doing something. Um, but so I was ignored everywhere except in that matter, you know, taking care of things, uh, which I didn't mind at the time. I still don't mind, but uh, the problem is that made me be um, not really in touch with no one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't dare doing that because I was so afraid. Um, of my dad that if I go out and, you know, hang out with friends or somebody, um, I'm going to see the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody came to our house either other than just um, very few relatives that my dad didn't have a problem with them. Uh, but that was about it. Nobody from outside, even my dad's co-workers, they didn't dare come to our house because my dad never accepted them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was raised in such environment and not being in touch with, uh, you know, anyone really other than some few people around us. And um, it made me kind of um, shy, I would say. I had a problem with um, saying even hi to people. I couldn't do that. I was so shy. Mm. And um, and so finally I got out of school and um, started being a little bit independent, uh, going out here and there uh, a little bit, not too much. And um, also I was kind of, uh, I'm going to say, uh, very religious myself until okay. my mid-20s um, where I didn't look at no one I was um, I was told I couldn't see myself but I was told that when I walk um, on the street going here and there I look like I'm mad at everyone uh, like that so yeah. uh, nobody ever gets uh, close to me either and um, so mm, didn't really have um, any communication with no one until I went to work. And uh, my coworkers, when we were get familiar, like a few months being in the work, I heard from one of them. Uh, she told me, um, when you first came on board, we thought of you as a 
B word, mm-hmm. she said. <laughs> but after we started getting to know you, and uh, we realized, no, it's totally the opposite. Yeah, so that's and kind of the a classic sense of, um, you know, when we say someone has their guard up, it's it's protective. You know, even like you have spikes out, it might it's to prevent someone from getting in because you think they're going to hurt you. You're, you're expecting they're going to hurt you based on what you you experienced. Um, mm-hmm. And as I was saying, I, I do want to, I, mean, I know you're giving me this history. I want to come to today to let me know what's happening now that's, you know, you're, is impacting or you're trying to figure out. Yes. So um, I was... Um I got married twice, and I was in relationship uh, with a guy, which we broke up uh, almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. But until we were sure about it, or at least I was sure about it, uh, it took me almost quite close to a year to finally I come to that, you know, final decision. Okay, I want to break up with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, um, I believe, um, all of my relationships ended up that way because of that, um, that I have a communication problem. I can't really, um, you know, understand people and people don't understand me either. Sometimes I feel like I'm really boring. Um, I try not to talk unless I have something to talk about. Uh, but uh, I was told multiple times that, okay, uh, cut off what you're saying and get to the point. You explain too much, <laughs> which hmm. right now I'm getting it from you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I felt, I, I'm, uh, you know, I say that with uh, uh, understanding that it's something maybe coming from somewhere. But there was a sense of even one time I asked a question, but you went back to what you were saying. You know, like I was saying, tell me about now, and then you went back to your your childhood. So there could be something where, you know, when you're in your train of thought, it's hard for you to, to switch and be in that dynamic process with the other person. So, you know, you're talking about something and they ask about something else. You know, I don't want to make that uh, mm-hmm. judgment because we're just talking for a short amount of time. But since you're saying you've received that feedback, it's, it's possible. And it does seem like you were... Uh, you began began the conversation sharing that you really were so removed from social interaction, so you didn't get a lot of that experience, but also your relationships were very uh, painful. I mean, the way you're describing your father, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds very scary in that home and that even you did say something, uh, I forgot the exact wording, it was something like no one else could speak or no one else could say something. And so it's not surprising that communication or expressing yourself is not something that feels comfortable or that you feel good about Mm -hmm. because you were given this very clear message and experience that it's not comfortable or safe to speak um and so there could be something there so you know you you mentioned that you were married twice and so you've obviously created relationships starting with this type of we can call a huge disadvantage in getting into even just friendship relationships with relationships in general, you found your way um, to that. Now, maybe you're saying they didn't uh, go well, or you are trying to figure out what happened there. So I'm, I'm looking at the time mm-hmm. when we are at a, a commercial break, but I do want us to continue and we can mm-hmm. see, maybe we could try to, you know, you mentioned some things at the end, 
of what people might tell you, but what happens, and of course, communication is, and how we talk is definitely important in relationships, but it's just one aspect, you know, it's not mm -hmm. all of it make or break. So we can look at what's happened in your relationships, how you think they went, and even what you want, you know, because there could still be mm -hmm. fears of getting close based on what you experienced growing up that we would anticipate. So we're going to go ahead, put you on hold, and we'll talk after the break, okay? All right. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. All right. So um, you were sharing about you know, your own family experience and, um, and then how you think that likely contributed to some issues with, I would say, relationships in general with what you described being so isolated and also seeing so much mm -hmm. anger and, and I can imagine being even afraid of relationships, being afraid of getting close. Um, and I know I made you fast forward a bit, but you went from that childhood and then talking about working was your first real exposure to creating these relationships. And then um, when we fast forwarded, you said you did get married twice and recently were in a romantic relationship that ended, I think you said, about a year ago, um, and you mentioned that you actually, it seemed like for a while you wanted it to end or thought it should end, and it took a while to actually make it end. But you also talked about communication and people sharing with you that um, they might have a, sometimes a hard time talking with you or certain aspects of how you communicate. So let me know anywhere within what I just shared there that you'd like to fill in or want us to continue from. Yes. So um, the problem is, I talk to someone and um, they say you have to open your eyes for, you know, who comes around you and find a real match for you. Hmm. Uh, my problem here is either of my relationships, um, it wasn't the way that they said, okay, I'm going to open my eyes and choose between. No, they were my only options. Like, uh, I did not have no one getting close to me at all because I'm gonna. I'm thinking. At first, I looked so young, way younger than my age, that nobody even thought uh, I'm at that age for a relationship, starting a relationship. And my first marriage was um, a guy that I worked with, so he knew that how old I am and. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew each other for about a year when, um, you know, he asked me for marriage and um, I didn't have any other options and I was in a bad situation, uh, relationship with my dad that I just wanted to get away. How old um, were you then? I was 26-ish. 26. So you were still in Iran at that time? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the first few months was really good, uh, but after, and of course, I couldn't bring him home because I couldn't do that. Uh, my dad would kill me right in there, and um, so we had to keep this relationship kind of hidden. Well, it wasn't really hidden. I guess only my dad didn't know about it. Everyone do did. <laughs> So, um, but after uh, we got married, like, uh, you know, Iranian marriages are, um, you get married, but you don't move into the guy's house or home. You stay with your parents. Um, so it was that, 
and um, then he started coming to our place after we got married, coming and going, and he saw uh, my dad and how he behaved uh, with people. Then he changed into my dad, like he wanted to do the same thing hmm. uh, my dad was doing to us, and um, I couldn't tolerate that. Um, I, I told everyone, I'm not my mom. I don't put up with, um, you know, all the baloney and things. No. Um, so I tried to make it work for about four years uh, before I come to the, you know, resolution that, okay, this isn't getting worse and not getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started um, seriously going for a divorce and it took about a year and a half. To finally be able to get divorced, and then um, while I was running for divorce, um, I met this guy online. He was American, and so we were in touch with each other. Uh, Skype was at the time, mm-hmm. and then um, he fell in love with me. And when I got my divorce, he asked uh, me for marriage. So, okay, um, I've been knowing you for almost one year. And that was, again, my only option I had. There was nobody else um, around showing any interest. Well, so, and one thing to mention there, though, is, um, you know, it also seems like you weren't necessarily putting yourself out there. And in this case, you were still married. So to say, you know, there was no one else out there, probably you would have to wait a while to then put yourself out there and and potentially meet someone but you're you're saying they no, were I was working at that time um like at the beginning of um, my first marriage I was in the working market um mm-hmm. I get the first couple of years um I couldn't you know do anything because I was into that marriage, I was wearing my ring and everything, so nobody said nothing. But after I started running for divorce and uh, I took the ring off, still then nobody showed interest. And I was a travel agent, so I had a lot of people coming and going. Okay. I had quite a lot of chances, but nope, nobody showed any interest ever. Um, so this guy um, online, he was the only one who showed interest. And um, so we ended up um, doing that. He uh, got me into the country. We got married. Um, again, with him, I was um, trying to make it work for four years. And um, at the end, no, it didn't work with him either. And uh, we agreed to get divorced. Um, that one was just... Uh, um, you know, a soft divorce, not like the other one. It was easy, this one. Um, so, and um, I was, um, I'm going to say, alone for, let's see, four or five years. I was single before I get into another relationship. But again, I was putting myself out, and I was here in this country now. Mm-hmm. And still, nobody even uh, gets close to talk to me. 
and I went out with my sister multiple times, um, and um, she she was here in a different state. I was there too. Um, we went out together. She was married, had this big ring on her finger, but guys would come to her and start talking to her, trying to get her attention. Uh, and I'm right there next to her, and nobody even look at me. And uh, I'm just so surprised. And said, okay, what is it in my face? How do I look? <laughs> is there something in it? On did, my forehead? Yeah. Did anyone, on, did like your sister, anyone give you what they thought was going on? No, she had no clue either. Okay. Even um, with her and a friend of ours, we went places, we went to a casino, we went to events everywhere. They were trying to get a match for me, but mm. no, nobody even came to talk to me ever. What was your own thought? Like, what, what would, what would? Sometimes when we experience something like that, we might not even be right, but we sometimes have a reason that comes to our own mind. Was there ever a reason that you would attribute it to? I don't know. I'm. Um, I try to be uh, really soft. Sometimes um, I try to be funny because I know in this country people uh, like funny people. Mm-hmm. Uh, which sometimes I hate myself for that. I try not to do that because I find myself uh, not funny at all after I make the joke and thing. Um, but, uh, you know, mm, I don't know. I feel like there is some sort of energy uh, around me that pushes people back. There could be, you know, you mentioned like when you you know, we're working, although that was a while ago, first went to work, that people thought you were a, a mean person or something like that. That that I was wondering if there's some way that you might not, um, as much as you on one level are, are wanting people to approach you, on another level might be afraid of that or people getting close or people coming in, there still could be this way that it's not so comfortable for you. What about friendships or other types of relationships? How are you doing and how do you feel about that part of life? That one, I also feel like I have a problem as well because I have had uh, female friends mm-hmm. um, around me, and um, after one or twice hanging out together, they keep, um, you know, bringing ex- excuses not to hanging out, or they totally become unresponsive. Uh, one of them. Uh, I went out with, I think, twice, and I, I was following her on Instagram. She was following me, and um, some time ago, I hadn't heard back from her and sent her a message, and she didn't respond. So I Recently, I checked to see. I thought, okay, maybe she's back in Iran and she's not getting my text, so let me send her a message on Instagram. And when I went to Instagram, I couldn't find her. She had unfollowed me and, I guess, uh, blocked me or something like that. And I was thinking, what What happened? You didn't say anything that, you know, uh, showing that you don't want to hang out with me or you don't like me or anything. It was totally the opposite. Hmm. So why did you do that? 
So who do you consider close people to you right now? Mm, I guess my mom is the closest. Okay. So no one, and as far as work, is there anyone that you're close with? I have a coworker that sometimes she hangs out with me if she doesn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. But but that's about it. I've been here in California past one and a half um, year, and um, still I don't know much people. Although I go out, I try to go out all the time, hanging out, you know, in the um, public areas, malls, restaurants, and streets that people go for a walk, and um, yeah, sometimes talk to people. And um, nobody ever, um, you know, does anything specific. And um, older guys, <laughs> like grandfathers, <laughs> they talk to me and they they ask me, "Hey, are you single? What are, what are you doing?" And say, "Yeah, I'm single." And their jaw drops and says, "What? Don't people see you?" How come you are single? And I have no answer for them. Hmm. I don't know. Have you tried online dating also? I did try. Um, this last guy uh, was um, dating. I found him online as well. Okay. Um, so it seems like he was he wanted the relationship to continue more than you did. He was to the point as well that we need to separate um, mm-hmm. the problem with him was um, he was a Native American mm-hmm. um, although he was a really nice guy but there was two issues um, one he was autistic so I had a little bit of a hard time to uh, you know um, a little bit communicate sure. the way he understands uh, with him and the second thing was he's a community person like his community was his priority mm-hmm. like if someone in his own uh, native community uh, calls for whatever to say hey deliver this for me from this place to that place he would put that first mm-hmm then I would be last in his list. And um, I couldn't take that. Yeah. And, uh, so we had some arguments um, quite often. Mm-hmm. I was mentioning it to him, saying, yeah. hey, you're a nice person, but I need to be on top of your list, not at the bottom, or at least somewhere in the top, not not maybe first um, on the list, but somewhere in the top. Yeah, well, when if you enter a relationship uh, and you know, get serious, usually you would expect to be at the top of that list. Um, so it's understandable. So, you know, coming back to, as I asked you in the last segment, what is there something that you would like from me, whether it's a question or some guidance on these things that you've you shared because you yeah, have definitely gotten an idea of what you've gone through and what you experienced but I want to see if I can get if there's something specific that I can hopefully offer you um, yeah I'm wondering how I can find that 
what exactly the problem is that um, pushes people back. Or um, I do attract people, but um, wrong people. Yeah. Like... It seems like your relationships have been that way that, that, you know, and as you yourself said, and and of course we attract certain people, but you've, you know, felt like there was no other options, but they weren't necessarily people that you were going towards. They were coming towards you um, Mm -hmm. in these situations. And, and so as much as there's a desire, of course, to be with someone and to not be alone or to not have to have someone, um, I, I would hope you don't just go into something to, okay, well, this is the only person because uh, even I felt that I know you were saying I didn't wear my ring for a while, but this person that approached you online when you were still married, I mean, you know, there's it, it's expected that there might be some time and it might not be someone from work or through your work that you will you will meet. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's now it's in the past, but there's it wasn't a, a long time between that. I know you said recently there was four years that you were, were single. And, and, you know, friendships mm-hmm. can be easier than... Um, romantic relationships because for a romantic relationship to work more things need to line up than they do for friendships so um, Mm -hmm. of course there's things like you know if you have certain interests or things that you really like looking for groups or um, you know whether it's like some kind of club or group or meeting that's related to that interest can can at times be helpful because we have that common ground to connect with uh, the other person um, as far as dating, I would hope you'll keep trying with the online dating. I think, as I mentioned, your childhood relationships were really painful, the way you described your father, and then also feeling very neglected in so many ways. Unfortunately, it does seem like you got accustomed to being alone, and you might not have had that experience that would have been helpful of uh, interacting with more people and having those lots of friendships and relationships from a young age. There's nothing we can do to change that. All you can do now is make all the efforts you can now to to get more experience and have more of those opportunities. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to say what's, you know, if you're asking me what is the reason why it's been hard for you, it's not easy for me to say. I do get the sense, as I said, in the way that you were communicating, there was times where I felt that we weren't totally on the same page, but not in nothing extreme in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. I do get the sense from what you said of people talking about you at work, uh, that was a while ago, but that you might push people away more than you realize you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever gone to therapy for, you know, for to explore yourself and also to get that feedback from a therapist about you? And because a big part of therapy is self-understanding and self-awareness. And so we can get Mm -hmm. some of that insight. Have you had that experience before? Um, I have done therapy but not for really this matter much um i was doing therapy because of um um had some really tragedy happened okay uh in the family so i was in really severe depression yeah well yeah that's uh, and that could time. be yeah and i'm glad you you know got help during that time i would encourage you to see a therapist to get more of a, a longer term, just of a self, not to focus on a specific problem. I mean, this issue you brought up here might be the problem, um, because I'm I, I'm I think they'll help you get a better sense of what might be going on, and for you to understand it better, and for you to keep putting yourself out there to experience getting close to people, trying to make friendships and relationships. 
Um, because if you don't, you know, there's no other way than to get yourself out there. But I really recommend that seeing a therapist in a longer term kind of a way mm -hmm. to really get that better sense of what might be going on. Uh -huh. Would you be able to recommend someone to me? Because I don't know who's going to be really okay well we can you know i i'll i'll we're going to go to commercial break and i can talk to you off the air about that see what depends on where you live and if i know someone in that area so we're gonna we'll put you on hold and talk after the break or during the break i'll talk to you but i think that's the the best idea that i can give you of what might be helpful okay great thank you all right um let's go to a commercial break we'll be right back back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling about uh, my five-year-old son. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, he's um, a very lovely boy and um, I think happy and um, outgoing and um, smart, beautiful, obviously, and um, but he does he does have um, some anger issues and insecurity issues, and he is beyond rambunctious. You know, he he's very hard to deal with um, on a daily basis with everyday things mm -hmm. like brushing the teeth, eating dinner, sharing with his brother. He is he's nearly two years old. His brother. And um, and so so it's the five year old five year old and two year old brother and any other children. That's it. That's it. Just okay. Those two. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, my son, he will, you know, he will say things uh, in anger and stop around, you know, like he's like he's a teenager, and um, you know, he'll snatch things aggressively. He'll stomp his feet and he'll have a fit, and it's just asking for something very reasonable. Um, I'm even aware of sort of letting him finish whatever he's doing and saying, "Look, when you finish doing that, can you come and do this, please?" And you know, trying to learn new ways of communicating with him. But he's just very hard work. And then on the other side, you know, he'll say things that I'm just dumb and I'm just stupid and hmm. nobody likes me and he'll come out with things and say that those things yeah that's I just want to know how to help him you know? yeah I mean it's tough and it seems like he's you know having a hard time with his feelings and then you know expresses it a certain way and likely it's getting a reaction or response um, from you and other family members and then he's internalizing this this like not being good and that likely will just only you know further contribute to that feeling because he won't feel good or he feels you don't like him or love him or upset even obviously that's not the case but he could get that feeling and then it's more likely for him to to react in that way um how does he do at school yeah he does very well for the most part i mean i know he's my son and most people say that their children are very intelligent and I don't think he's, you know, way above average, but he is above average, which mm -hmm. is quite smart. Okay. Um, he has friends, you know, uh, once or twice the teachers have spoken to him. He started kindergarten uh, about a few months ago, and there's been one time where the teacher has told us that we need to remind him of the classroom promises. 
Um, and that that was a week coming back after having an ear infection, and so I think he was just a bit, you know, like cabin fever at home and uh-huh. trying to get back into the swing of things at school. I'm not sure I'm not there, but I can imagine that he probably felt a bit left out or he was showing off, and uh, he has trouble sharing, huge trouble sharing. Mm, okay. Uh, but overall, you're saying uh, from like a behavioral side, he does well at school he's okay yeah okay yeah and have to behave at school when he's at home yes well yeah i mean that happens sometimes the kids will be you know behave differently but that shows us there's some level of control or you know it's not just all the time kind of a thing um who else is in the home Uh, me and my husband my husband's persian and um he's born in america and then there's me Mm -hmm. and then our other other son yeah, um, and then we have in his life that is quite close to him is his, his papa, his, my husband's dad, and my husband's mom. Okay, and that's our immediate family. Okay, um, and so you know you're saying he has a hard time sharing, and of course it could be kind of chicken or the egg thing. Did he already have a hard time sharing, and then having a brother would have made that more difficult, or did the brother uh, bring up this you know more possessiveness of things because he felt like he was losing things how did he do when he was i guess around three when his brother was born what was that like um he did very well i'd say all in all um and his brother was a baby so he couldn't really move mm-hmm. and when his brother started wanting to play with his legos and if his brother has anything you know, and the old, my oldest didn't have it in his hand. He now wants it in his hand because my youngest has it in his hand. Mm-hmm. So I think that his, his younger brother's arrival has contributed to that. Okay, yeah, that's that likely is going to happen. You know, it's not a, if uh, if the older sibling gets jealous, it's how and in what ways. It is a difficult thing for the older sibling to go to go through to have a new mm-hmm. child in the home and sharing mom and dad and all the other things that change because of that. So generally, how have you and your husband responded to him with the, the anger and when things have been coming up? What's been the, the general response and reaction? Um, I think before the last, in the last two months differently. Um, before that, we would be, uh, I would say now, it would probably be quite shaming for Cam. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, your behavior is bad. I've tried to separate him from his behavior. We still do that um, and tell him what, what not to do rather than what to do and so I'm trying to tell him why he can't do something and make him understand why he can't do something and what he should do instead um, and I also apologize for uh, my own anger when I just you know I just can't I guess get too frustrated and I behave in a way that I shouldn't behave or have enough patience to behave with a five-year-old and so I often apologize to him and tell him, you know, a mummy was frustrated. It wasn't me that was making me frustrated. I chose to be frustrated, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like we're really trying, but um, we don't normally send him to his room. We don't take things from him, but there is a general sense of threatening. If you don't do that, I'm going to do this. If you don't do that, then you won't get this. That happens quite a lot, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably not helpful. Probably not, but it does seem like, you know, things have gotten uh, heated or there's just an escalated tone in general and you're trying to, to take care of that and it's hard to turn that down you can it'll take some time um, but as I was saying before these things start happening and then it's just if it's more tense he's gonna be more likely to react or if he's feeling you know bad or you're feeling upset with him unfortunately that that could lead to him then acting out again the next time and then becomes 
a, a cycle and then you're almost thinking it's going to happen or worried that it's going to happen and then it might happen again. Um, and you and your husband, how much are you on the same page about how to handle uh, what's been going on? Um, I'd say, you know, we're 80% on the same page. Uh, when my husband gets a bee in his bonnet about something, he's like, no, no, this is this way or like I'm just going to be the way I am and that's it. But, you know, I, 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 I would take the time to sort of think about it and come across a bit more emotionally and pathetic and my husband will see my point of view and agree. Mm -hmm. uh, we both work full time and it's, life is very busy. Um, I feel like I'm a bit more attuned to my son than my husband and I don't know if it's a male or a female thing. Um, his dad, you know, their dad is a very loving father and he is here all the time and does a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there obviously could be uh, trends in that way, but both, you know, men and women can uh, find that empathy and compassion and approach in that way. And overall, that will be my a big recommendation and theme is realizing your son is, you know, he's having these big overwhelming feelings and not sure what, to, how to deal with them or how to express them. And then it seems like he expresses them and then he actually gets some kinds of consequence, whether it's something getting taken away, which you're saying doesn't always even happen, but still your reactions are not going to feel good for him. And then it seems like he he's internalizing that. And that's really what we want to be careful about is for him not to internalize. I am bad. I know you're saying you're really trying to put effort to emphasize the behavior and not him, but it seems like he might be taking that in and taking that on. Um, and then, so if he thinks, oh, mommy and daddy think I'm bad or I'm, you know, they're, they don't like being around me or they don't like when I have these feelings and it's going to make him more likely to, to react. So we want to try to, to change things and also not create power dynamics because then we end up in a, a tug of war and it's a push and pull and that usually leads to, to everyone getting distressed. So we're at a commercial break and we kind of got a good, some general background of it. And I want to get more into some of the nitty gritty and some things that maybe you can try to see if we can yeah. help both obviously yourselves, but also your son and, and what's been going on. So we'll put you on hold and we'll come back after the break. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Hello. Okay. So um, you're talking about your five-year-old son and your, your concerns about his recent um, anger in response to, you, you mentioned it, maybe I can ask you more about what types of things he's getting angry about. Um, but one thing I'll just say, bigger picture. So everything that you go through with your child is important every single day, um, but it could be helpful to at times remember the bigger picture which is that almost all children will have periods of time where they you know are acting out in some way or having some kind of issue whether different types of things from what you're describing let's say biting their nails or wetting their bed or doing a variety of things being aggressive with kids at school and so i say this not to undermine it but just to remember that this is likely going to be one part of his experience but doesn't define or describe him or you and your husband as parents or what's going to happen. It's usually um, these things tend to, to happen over the course of our experience with our children. So uh, just keeping that in mind as we do talk about the significance of what's happening now, but remembering that likely it'll be something that um, won't be defining in, in who he is. Because I, I work with families that they'll have their kid get aggressive at school and things. Does this mean my kid is going to be violent or get into trouble or anything like that? And 
you didn't suggest anything that way, but um, just making that comment of, we know that he's showing this anger, but that's part of being human. It doesn't mean there's anything uh, going to be wrong or wrong with who he is now or who he will become. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about like, you know, you said, yeah, we might ask him to do something and he gets angry, but what kind of things tend to get him angry? And uh, you mentioned something about him, I think saying certain things, but tell me how he reacts when he does get angry. Um, well, we just actually just now we just gave him dinner, which he likes, chicken, spice, uh, cucumbers, and, you know, he can comes to the table, yuck, that's yuck, I'm not eating that, I want tacos, and slams his chair and gets a spoon and flicks the rice everywhere and uh, is, is sort of being very aggressive in his tone and shouting and just wants everyone to know that he doesn't want what he's eating. And that, that, that happened like 10 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, can you get in the bath? And he loves getting in the bath. And he just defined, I don't want to get in the bath. I don't want to get in the bath. Finally get him in the bath, and then he doesn't want to get out of the bath. Mm -hmm. um, don't can you clean your teeth, you know, so he stomps so loudly. And goes, <clears throat> like he's, we're interrupting him. <laughs> and, you know, he, how dare we ask him to clean his teeth. Um, the most frustrating one is don't snatch from his brother's hands and if he's got a toy just let him play with it or can you share your toys with him um, and he'll he'll not be extremely violent but he'll lash out in a soft kick or a soft hit knowing that it's wrong and mm -hmm. um, I remember when his brother got hurt a little bit and uh, my oldest son thought that he'd really hurt him and I saw like the remorse and the shock and the worry in his face so I know he's not wanting to inflict pain on that level mm -hmm. but his, he just can't help himself and yeah. we can tell him a hundred times a day the same thing and he just has those days where he just won't listen yeah and I think you, you said it quite nicely there at the end where it's he doesn't want to actually hurt him but he has a hard time containing that feeling and and those feelings are understandable too. Uh, one, the jealousy of the brother, but another theme in a lot of what you were saying was just you ask him to do something, and no matter what it is, even if it's something he wants to do or you know he kind of does like, he wants to show that he doesn't like it. So there's clearly this sense of saying no, not as a genuine response, but to basically say, I don't agree with you or I'm going against what you're saying as the authorities, you and your husband. So, uh, and yeah. you're saying he's not doing that at school so much. So there's something, you know, we, sometimes we want to say it's not personal, but here it is in the sense that it's personal to this, your relationships with him, which is the, the most important ones and the uh, unique one. And there's something about him, you know, pushing back on that. Now, how much of his routine is it like he knows about it or we talk about it beforehand with him? Uh, how much is it like a collaborative type of thing of figuring out what he's going to do each day or each night? Um, it's very routine. Uh, mm -hmm. He goes to school every day, comes home, and he eats dinner with us. We have an hour together with family. We start bath time, and he has reading stories. That's every single night. Mm -hmm. And the weekend, he has uh, jujitsu and soccer, sometimes piano, and then that's the Saturday morning, and then we have the whole weekend to to do whatever we want to do as a family. Um, often we'll see his grandparents, something fun. Um, I don't like just sitting in the house with them because it feels like torture because there's just so many arguments. So I kind of felt like we need to be active. Hmm. Um, there's not a lot of TV in his schedule these days. 
there hasn't been for the last year or so. Um, but he does watch a bit of TV. Okay. Um, he's cut down on sugar quite a lot as well the last few months. Um, and so, yeah, he knows he knows his routine pretty well. There's nothing really outside of the normal routine. Yeah. Did you ever... It's the same every night. Does he... Did you ask him, sometimes what's going to happen next? Does he kind of participate in that way? Uh, not really, but we do talk about the weekend and what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and he'll like it, and they'll say, oh, I don't want to do that. But I know that he does. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's this uh, classic, It's it starts at age, somebody's like two or three, this like first times they start saying no, um, but it seems like, yeah, he's really using that agency in, in saying no to show, like you said, somebody's to prove, like, I don't like this thing, just to say that, even if he maybe does it um, in a kind of like a disobedience. Uh, the, what I was, you know, also, when I said about him being collaborative or part of it, sometimes, you know, we say, oh, Okay, what else do we have to do tonight? You know, and he'll like he can he probably will say, "Oh, brush my teeth," you know, whatever the things are. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than sometimes when we'd say like, "Okay, now you have to do this," or "Now it's time for this," it could feel like he doesn't have control. So we're not even going to necessarily change the routine, but we can can give him more of a sense of being involved or being in control of it. That it's not just happening to him. We often can forget that. You know, we, we pay attention to the clock and, okay, now it's 6, now it's 6.30, it's time for this. But to a child, the clock's going to have way less significance or even awareness of what's going on there. So uh, making him feel more part of that so it's not like it's being told to him, now you have to do this. But having him be, oh, what do we what what do we have left to do tonight? And then he might share the things that usually you do. Now, he might even react and say, I'm going to do nothing or I'm just going to do this. But making him overall more part of that process. Okay. You can do that. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, because these things become very, as I was saying, push and pull. And then the more, you know, right now what we're seeing is that you push and he just is going to push back. Doesn't matter what even it is. He might even love the thing, but just to to make the, the, to win the battle. And so it does seem like um, it's become a bit of a power struggle between him and you and your husband. And so no one really wins with those because it's just you might push someone in your direction but they're going to be upset and now you're dealing with that so that's one way of getting him more uh, involved you know I know you're saying you try to approach him with uh, more empathy what does that look like so let's say if he gets angry how might you respond to him I know I'm putting you on the spot in a way but just to hear what might your response be if he's if he's angry or upset um, uh, you know, when I'm in a good space, and which is even you know, most of the time lately, um, I'll say, you look really upset, or you mm-hmm. sound really upset, uh, you know, why do you, what, what are you thinking, and why do you feel upset? But I'll acknowledge, I'll try and acknowledge that I'm aware he's upset initially. And, and how does he respond to that? He opens up a dialogue with me, um, for the most part, and then it will be frustrating because he will just have this teenager actually this is <laughs> dumb or this is stupid and I don't like it and I feel like I can't penetrate I feel like yeah I don't have any skills well that's it's a hard one and it's interesting that you're you know you know the he gives you this teenager like feeling and and you know sometimes when we feel that way with teenagers there's a sense of they're intentionally trying to be difficult and you know they're trying to make things more harder than they need to be and it's a bit frustrating 
that it seems like they're doing that or they're exaggerating how how difficult it is to kind of make a point, which is what it feels like to you. And probably there is some of that where he's making it seem even worse than it probably even feels for him. Like he wants to go to bath time, but he's showing that he's upset. Um, and so, as I said, if it's presented in a, what are we doing next? And, you know, things like giving him warnings or what, okay, as far as how the schedule is looking, maybe that'll make it a little bit better or even telling him, Hey, you know, you're playing a little bit more and then next we're going to do bath time. Come to the bath when you feel ready or, you know, or give him some, and maybe he will, he'll never come, but give him some sense of agency in that. So, you know, what tends to happen in these situations, like everything I can feel it from you, understandably, is like each thing is like, oh gosh, how are we going to get through this next thing? And so I can feel like you already are going to be pulling him, but we can try to, you know, I think you said he does jujitsu and I'm not really uh, so familiar, but I know there's a lot of using the opponent's weight and those kinds of things. So sometimes there's a sense of not pushing and allowing them to come to you in a way, he's definitely not your enemy, but in the sense of getting on the same page, getting him to see, okay, you can walk in when you'd like to some degree, and it's not going to be uh, forced upon you. Now with the anger, I think you're doing great. It seems like you're upset. It seems like you're angry. And that's the dialogue is the, is the good part. Sometimes parents will ask me, okay, there's this rule. Do we follow the rule or we don't follow the rule every single time? And there's some, um, notion of being aware of how often we're being flexible and how often we're being firm. But overall, for me, it's more important, especially at his age, to get the dialogue going of like, oh, yeah, okay, so you're frustrated. Oh, it feels dumb. Or yeah, maybe you were having fun. And now you have to stop doing something else. And you don't like that. And you know, so showing him you're trying to understand, or it's understandable that he's upset, doesn't mean you won't have him take the bath or do the next thing. Uh, but that you can get his feeling of that, you know, a classic example is like a kid wants to go play outside and it's dark and you can say, I can understand you want to play or that seems so fun, but I can't let you go outside right now because it's dark and that's not as safe as when we play in the daytime and we can play tomorrow, you know, so, you know, we say yes to the feeling, but not necessarily yes to the request. Your feeling is always acceptable and okay, but I won't Mm -hmm. let you just do whatever because of that feeling or, you know, the rules won't go out the window because you feel a certain way, but the feeling is always important and always acceptable. And what's a tough one for most people, but especially with with kids when they're reacting in this way, is letting them know that all their feelings are okay, including this anger, you know, um, which is tough because it doesn't feel good to you even experiencing him being that angry, but realizing that he needs to feel that, yeah, like you said, his behavior, maybe we don't want to have him do that especially hurting his brother we have to totally intervene to prevent that uh, but his feelings are understandable and we love him regardless you know parents sometimes use timeout as a punishment and unfortunately often the message you're sending to the kid is i don't want to be around you when you're this way or you're not lovable when you need me the most when you're emotionally most overwhelmed i'm going to disappear or i'm going to send you away not realizing that message is being sent we think it's giving them a good message and really timeouts the intention was for uh, parents to help kids self-regulate so it's oh it seems like you're really riled up or you you could benefit from calming down it's not a you know you have to close your door and um, be punished and be alone and abandoned it's actually maybe it could be with you or however they want to help themselves to calm down to then come back to whatever they're doing but unfortunately it kind of evolved into this punishment that we don't like what you're doing go to your room and 
you're in timeout. Um, so we want him to get the message that even if he's really, really angry and having this, these big feelings that he's having a hard time handling, we can still handle them and we still love him even in that moment that he's that angry. Doesn't mean again, anything he does is okay or now we're gonna say yes to him, but we wanna make sure that connection is there of we're saying yes to the feeling, even if it's no to the request or the behavior. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thank yeah, you. Sure. And you know, these things they're they're really challenging. There's no um you know, there's no magic formula. I wish I could tell you certain phrases or if you do the certain thing, he's mm-hmm. gonna just stop doing this. Especially when, you know, a lot of our behavior at whatever age is expectations. And so if this has become the pattern for a while, no matter yeah. what you change, it's gonna take some time, you know, even for you and your husband for him to unlearn it or to learn a new type of dance with these things you know there's going to be this his expectation too if it's about to be tense or this is not going to go well um but the you know so expected to take some time um you know even the way you said it to start off was like he's such a lovely boy oh you didn't say it quite this way but accept but he's a lovely boy including this part it doesn't probably feel so lovely in those moments as far as a reaction but this is part of him being a human being that has this aspect that we all have within us as well. We're not going to remove it completely. He'll always still have anger because it's a healthy emotion to have when we experience it in the best of ways. That's going to still be there, but we want to help him learn how to slowly manage this anger, how to communicate it. I think that's great. Something you've been doing with him, make it a dialogue. And yeah, maybe say, oh, I don't like when you, he, he might get better at ex- expressing it and verbalizing it, especially as he's getting older of what, what he is going through. Or yeah, I get mad or mommy never lets me whatever it is that he shares and sometimes those things it's not that we dismiss what he says but we know sometimes you know kids might say you never let me play and we know that it's not that they never get to play but that's a feeling it seems like yeah we stop you from playing or we stop you from having fun or or maybe that the playing stops when you're not expecting it and that doesn't feel good uh which is why i was saying you know maybe warnings or giving him some more agency of when some things are happening so he doesn't feel as much that that push and pull of, of things. Um, those, those are just some thoughts. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I'll talk to my husband and we'll get on the same page and yeah. anchor down for the next few months. <laughs> yeah, and that's a big one too, being on the same page. You know, the inconsistencies always yeah. uh, creep out in effect and make things harder to change. But yeah, uh, nice talking to you and best of luck to you and the family. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Sure. Take care. You too. Take care. All right. Let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, with the last caller was talking about some parenting, and as I think it's pretty clear, the most challenging role we can have in our lives is to be parents, because there's so many things that we have to try to figure out, and there's uh, no clear answers. Going back to how I started the show. Um, no one has all the answers or has it figured out. So parenting is not something that if you listen to a few um, speeches or you know Instagram videos or read a book, you're going to have it all figured out. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't approach it as uh, an art to learn to study. So that's uh, the black and white is what can get us in trouble there. We always think, well, if you what I'm saying is that you can't figure it out, then, you know, just just do whatever comes to mind but no we should recognize how serious it is and how important it is and that great responsibility that it is and do our best to learn as much as we can 
knowing it won't be perfected, but that we can get better at it and get a better uh, understanding of how to approach this incredibly difficult uh, responsibility that we are, are given, or we, in a way, give to ourselves. Um, and so, as I mentioned with that caller, when I've worked with families in the past, I, I do try to encourage both a big picture and moment-to-moment type of mindset. And of course, you can hold both of them at the same time, but really you're going to be focused on one more than the other at any given time. So what that means is that we are very um, mindful and in the moment present with our kids and what they're going through or with them. If they're sad, we respond to that sadness, not that it doesn't matter and, oh, you're just a kid or you're, you know, I know there's a classic uh, Persian line of you're going to forget about it or you won't remember what's happening to you right now. Um, So we're not going to do that and dismiss what they're going through in the moment. We will stay with them and be empathic. And okay, so, you know, sometimes they tell us about something that happened in school and we're like, oh, okay, then on the playground and they're five years old, something happened. It's like, oh, come on, it's not a big deal. But no, the child needs you to be present and to show that what they're going through is important. It does matter. But we also, of course, don't get fully lost in that or forget the bigger picture that this is one experience of our child and part of their childhood. And that bigger picture approach can help give us the perspective and the comfort of how to proceed with what's happening in front of us. Because if we're so uh, concerned in the moment and we don't have that bigger picture uh, mindset with us, we can do a few different things. One is we might overreact. So uh, the, the parent I was talking to didn't give this sense but I did share this when in talking with her that I've worked with families that if their child is oh they you know they got sent home from preschool because they bit another child or they hit a child or they did something they I've really had parents tell me they are worried what if my child becomes really violent or they're going to get arrested for you know starting fights because you know at three years old they're biting someone and no that's not true um, most kids go through some of aggressive periods in their life I know actually I went through one where they would say that I was pretty pretty aggressive with um, kids, our family, friends, kids, and was causing a lot of trouble. And I rarely now bite people or hit people uh, in public. So it's not really happening or in private. So it's not just because someone is, you know, as a three-year-old doing something, we need to worry so much. That's what I mean by the big picture mindset, to not think, okay, they've... Um, you know, done something that's aggressive, that means they're going to be aggressive. No, children are going to react in these types of ways. It's pretty pretty normal to have reactions like that come up. Uh, even as adults, we have a hard time controlling and containing our feelings. Little kids have even a harder time to hold that in. It's going to come out in these ways. Also, they don't have even some of the resources if they're not as verbal, so they're going to express it more through actions than they will in any kind of verbal type of a way. So when we interact with our kids, we care about what's happening with them, but that perspective of the bigger picture, one, won't make us over um, overreact in that way, or we won't overreact in another way of, if they're hurting, we have to, to quickly fix it, or we shouldn't let them feel any pain. So uh, the bigger picture mindset also encourages us to allow for the pain that leads to growth or the discomfort that leads to growth, uh, which we want to have for ourselves, but we definitely want to have for our kids. 
that we don't interfere with their growth because we don't want them to feel bad in this moment. Our child forgets to do their homework. Do we do the homework for them or keep them home from school? Or do we allow them to go face the consequence of not doing their homework, which won't feel good? They will feel um, a sense of pain or discomfort from that. But that will likely be better for their growth overall than if we, you know, keep them home from school or we do their homework ourselves or some other way that removes the actual consequence of their actions. We want them to learn from that uh, consequence. Okay, this is what happens and you can deal with it. And not only does that help them grow because they face those consequences, they also see that they can handle those consequences. Unfortunately, you know, we talk about people uh, sheltering their kids and, you know, it's like, like many things, people throw out these phrases and we might use it too much or not really pay attention to what's happening when when someone goes through that but what happens is if you haven't experienced any small pains when you then experience a pain and even if it's a small one or if it's a moderate one it's going to seem unsurmountable or insurmountable or something that you can't handle intolerable i can't go through this i need to um, get away from this feeling or i have to give up what i'm doing or whatever it might be we think we can't handle that pain so a tough thing as a parent is there's so many balancing acts but another one that they have to keep in mind is of course taking care of your kids protecting your kids uh, giving them experiences that feel good often and regularly but also allowing for that balancing of sometimes experiencing a discomfort doesn't mean add a discomfort into their life or you have to do something bad to them not not at all but allowing them to face the discomforts that come about through life so they have a argument with a friend of theirs rather than quickly trying to fix it for them or um you know uh taking away their pain by distracting them with something a toy or a treat you allow them to be upset about it and to talk with you about it and hopefully depending on their age and what was happening talk with the person they had that experience with you know this is something i see very often with not just young kids but older kids where parents will intervene in their conflicts whether it's with a friend or classmate or with a teacher because they don't want to allow their child to be sad and you know be hurt that they think my job is to protect my kids so i'm going to come in and protect them and so they come in and intervene by either handling the situation, removing their kid from the, the situation, from the class, from the school, and thinking I did a good job as a parent because I took their pain away. But, but this is one of my biggest uh, messages to parents. And again, it goes back to ourselves is differentiating between that pain that is growth and the pain that is damage. And of course, if something is damaging, we should remove our kids from those dangers and that type of damage. But the pain that leads to growth, we're doing our kids a disservice when we remove those opportunities from them. So they have a bad interaction with their teacher. Now, of course, we don't want to send them unsupported because when you have a teacher versus kid and if the teacher is being really not okay in their behavior, it's not fair to send your child directly into that, especially depending on their age and the situation. But overall, we don't want to just say, okay, if you don't like your teacher, either we're going to go fight with them or we're going to change your school or something drastic to remove any chance of you feeling this discomfort. Um, maybe with a classmate, it might even be an easier example because it's more of an equal playing field. Don't just make your kid change classes or uh, you go talk to the 
kids' parents, I've heard that many times too. Oh, you know, two kids fight, the moms talk about it and resolve it, and then the kids are friends again. Um, no, give your children the space to experience that conflict to see that they can, first of all, you know, the sky isn't falling, there's a conflict, they can handle it, but also that they can get through it and maybe um, make even a better situation because of that, not have to just avoid it because it's so scary, they can actually um, make the situation good. So that feeling as a parent, it could be tough because in the moment it feels so good. Okay, my child was worried, my child was sad, I fixed it for them. And of course, that seems like a good thing. And often it is the right thing to do. But with these opportunities where we want to give them a chance to experience some discomfort and to then have to face the consequence of the actions and to take some action, we really have to realize how much we're taking away from our children when we do that. We're not doing something that helps them when we, let's say, if you do their homework from the day they're born, every year in school, you've done all their homework for them. Um, then are you really helping them? Yes, in that each moment you can say, oh, it was a relief that rather than doing this work, they had to, they got to go play. And so they might feel good. But what have you done in interfering with their, their development and their strength? What have you done in interfering with their opportunities to grow to then be able to take care of themselves? And then this goes back to what I brought up in the first segment of this um, sense that we give our kids this comfort and safety, but also then show them that the world can be okay for them to face too, that they don't have to be protected from the world forever because one, the world isn't such a scary place and two, that they are strong enough to encounter what is out there. They don't need us to just protect them every step of the way. We believe in them and we give them those opportunities to flex and grow those muscles to get out there in the world. So parenting is the hardest responsibility that we could ever have, a hardest relationship we can ever have. But as is often the case, the things that are the hardest can be the most meaningful and the most rewarding. And parenting has that other side too. It is the most rewarding and meaningful relationships that we can create and experience in our lives. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi, Zan Zendegi Azadi. Mm-hmm.